So, how do we start? Hello, you are listening to Grape Culture, the podcast where we talk about wine, pop culture and feminism. I'm Kim. I'm Sam. And we hope you enjoy the show. On this week's episode, which coincidentally is the very first episode of season four of Grape Culture, What, what the Fuck, the fuck? Um, we are going to be talking about the book Reputation by Lex Croucher, uh, which is a kind of Regency romance, but with a bit of a twist, and we will get on to talking about that in a bit. But before we do, like I just said, it's the start of season four. Kim, what, what have you been up to? What's going on? How's your world? Mainly sort of crying. Um... <laughs> Good. Uh, Good. No, um, yeah, we've been not doing this for about three months now. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, it has been a while. We have all been incredibly busy and uh, my work life is super busy, frustratingly so. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal life is also busy. My One of my best so friends demand. is getting married and I'm the maid of honour, so that's quite demanding. And yeah, other than that, reading books, you know, buying the book that we're going to be talking about later drinking less wine than i used to but still plenty of wine um we had a christmas in there somewhere (laughs) yeah allegedly the Um, year changed even though it feels like exactly the same year that it's been for the last three yeah and yeah yeah, mostly kind of surviving and trying to avoid the news nice fair i think that's a good state of being yeah 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 um all a bit of a blur how about you yeah much the same uh although i'm not Maid of honour at anyone's wedding. Uh, work is busy. I will be starting a new job shortly, which is quite Yay. exciting. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's been... Uh, I started January really well and didn't drink and was very healthy. And then uh, the world got gradually more shit. And so did my uh, health habits. So yeah. here we are starting our wine podcast once again. So we are back filling your ears with our utter nonsense once again. You may have noticed that we're a two-person team this time round. That's because Alex is working on a couple of... Very big, but also very small uh, side projects from Grape Culture, um, which will be taking up most of her time. We're hoping that she'll be able to join us for a couple of episodes further down the line. But for the time being, Grape Culture Season 4 is just Kim and I. We are hoping to maybe introduce some guests, try try things a little bit differently. Um, we are also hoping, because we don't have quite the same level of commitments that Alex has... Um, to ramp up back to two episodes a month um, and yeah see how we go with that but we're really excited to be back and to start ramping up some of the content and trying a few different things and some experiments for sure but the format of the show will remain broadly the same in that it's going to be us picking a couple of wines to talk about and a book a pop culture topic a tv show a movie or something like that um, talking about our experiences with it talking about how it feeds into um the, the broader feminist movement where where it's applicable mm-hmm. uh, and otherwise just getting a bit trashed and talking shit but from a feminist perspective fantastic so on to then the wine that we've just been talking about so we have two bottles this week that were both chosen by kim do you want to take us through your reasoning behind picking them and what they are yes i do um so for context the reason that i chose these wines is that i feel that they relate particularly to the book which once again is reputation by lex croucher which is kind of jane austen meets mean girls um it is a regency set book um that follows a particular heroine as she kind of gets lost in high society and the debauchery that comes with that I thought you said a heron. I was like, that, if it followed a heron, that would have been a very different book. That would be a different book, but I'd read it. Yep, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, heroin. Yes. Okay, cool. With that in mind, I chose two wines that were around or representative of wines that were around at the time that kind of res- uh, represent two different angles of the book. The first wine represents the rare wine movement that the 19th century had, the sort of old money aspect that our heroine Georgiana finds herself thrust into um this wine is a tokash wine from hungary tokash tokash wine mm, thank you yeah. Sam. a tokash wine from hungary tokash wine is um quite an old way of making wine it was first developed in around 1650 and was a favorite rare wine of um royalty all across europe and um and beyond but emperors and everything were very into it it was it's developed using a um a technique called noble rot so if that doesn't give you an idea of the fact that it's kind of a big deal um (laughs) 
So rare wine collecting was quite a craze in the 18th and 19th century. Um, after the Little Ice Age, wine production in England and in Northern Europe um, kind of went away because the climate had changed. And so there was less wine available. So really good rare wine was um, really prized and sort of set off. And obviously it was a bit of a money show. Can I just ask, what was the Little Ice Age? I've not heard of this. The Little Ice Age? The Little Ice Age. The Little Ice Age was a period of regional cooling particularly pronounced in the North Atlantic region. Basically, it was a period of time where the climate was gradually cooling from around 1300 to as far as 1850. But during that time, the production of wine and everything, the climate slowly cooled, the production of wine in England and in um, the Northern Europe really sort of went down but then there was areas of europe especially sunny areas of europe that became very popular for wine as i was saying the tokash wine was very popular in hungary so this is a wine that really speaks to old money and would have been very popular for rare wine collectors at the time not this specific label but the wine sort the grape itself so we have chosen the cardos ferment tokash which is as i said from hungary uh developed in 2020 it is described as a fresh and juicy white wine with orchard fruits and green citrus. It's their benchmark white wine. The fruit was picked from 20-year-old vines in the south-facing Arani Sajo vineyard in Tokash, grown on volcanic soils. They ripen with lots of fruit character and electric acidity. Um, it's aged for three months and tanked before being bottled, resulting in wine that's layered with, layered with flavours of zingy gooseberries, ripe pears and limes. The finish is crisp, dry and mouth-watering. Um, it's also compared to very popular French wines, um, Chablis, Sauvignon Blanc and Chenin Blanc, which again, French wine was obviously hugely popular, but at the time of the Regency was less popular and less achievable to um, get because we were at war with France. Mm. Um, So that's why we chose it. That's why I thought that it'd be good to start with this one as well. We'd start with the old money. The wine that we'll be talking about later on in the episode is more of a new money kind of wine. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. That is different. That is different. It's got a very full flavour, but it's very light. So it really punches your mouth a bit. I see what they mean about the gooseberry thing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It's quite tart. Yes. But not like... Yeah, it's not sour. It's not unpleasant. It's it's actually remarkably um, smooth and drinkable. But it's, yeah, it's very flavourful. Very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a summer picnic wine. I was thinking it's a summer rooftop garden wine. Uh, Yeah, also. I can see that. So I can very much see why this is popular among the royals um but also worth noting that this was uh we got this from our local um novel wines which is a a wine shop close to us um who generously provided us some wine uh a while ago as well so um if anyone is looking for a british based wine stockist they are very very good yes and they all their wines are available to buy online and they have interesting european wines like hungarian wine that you might not actually consider if you're like us and just go and buy french plonk oh speaking of leaning into it should we lean into the book shall we shall we shall we would you like to talk a little bit more about what the book's about and maybe read the blurb or give us a brief summary i will do um so as we mentioned the book is reputation uh it is uh a kind of it's a regency (sighs) somewhere between somewhere between a comedy a romance and a drama it kind of has legs in all the categories a dramedy a dramedy oh no it's about a, a young woman who um actually you know what before we get into what it's about what how would you sum it up in five words i think i already did i think it would be jane austen meets mean girls yeah i think the one i went with was uh gossip girl meets bridgerton yes yeah. and on the front <laughs> it's bridgerton meets fleabag so some sort of uh, love child of all of those things uh, yes. in one 400 page book um but yes talking dirty in empire waist dresses yes and then saying the word fuck and getting very <laughs> about yeah. it uh but it's yeah it's, it's about a, a, a young woman georgiana who um goes to live with her aunt and uncle in the town the town is never specified it's somewhere in surrey is it surrey okay yeah. right fine um they talk about the moors which made me think it was somewhere in devon but that's not the only place that there are moors so yeah yeah I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it says that it's sorry yeah. at one point. Okay, fair enough. Uh, she goes to live with her aunt and uncle, uh, gets sort of sucked into this glamorous world of the the very rich, elite, um, young people who are in their sort of early 20s. 
who scandalise society by going to parties and getting drunk and taking opiates and that's something that we're going to get having... to. Not having sex, just getting drunk and taking opiates. Um, not having sex, but not being coy about... They show their ankles. Ankles <gasps> and physical yeah. touch and stuff like that. There, there are boundaries that they... Yeah, do not cross. Do not cross. Or if they do cross, it's still scandalous. Yes, exactly. Um... Yeah, there's a lot of... It's a very scandalous book in terms of... What, it, it's The book's called Reputation. It's about what people think of you and what people say about each other. And um, and then, yeah, Georgiana takes up with this, this group of people. They have all manner of wild parties and adventures. And then, uh, obviously, things take a turn for the worse because that's how a lot of these books go. And then, you know, at the end, everything's kind of fine. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, it's got a happy ending. Yeah. Although I will say... I wasn't convinced that it was going to for no. a section of the book. There is some darkness in there as well. Mm, yeah. Yes. Um, and it's actually worth um, noting that um, if you find it difficult to uh, read books that talk about sexual assault, you may find that there are parts of this book that, that aren't for you to engage with. So we are just warning you now, mm-hmm. maybe not the book for you, but overall the tone is not a dark one. I will read the blurb on the back just so you have a little bit more info on it. Uh, so... Abandoned by her parents in favour of a sea view, middle-class Georgiana Ellers has moved to a new town to live with her dreary aunt and uncle. At a particularly dull dinner party, she meets the enigmatic Frances Campbell, a wealthy socialite and enchanting member of the inn crowd. Through Frances and her friends, Georgiana is introduced to a new world of wild parties, drunken debauchery, mysterious young men with strangely alluring hands. There is so much talk of hands, and we have to talk about it later. Um, and these sparkling upper echelons of Regency society. But high society isn't all it's, all it's cracked up to be, and the price of entry may be more than Georgiana is willing to pay. Dot, dot, dot. So what what were your impressions of it? Because you picked this, Kim. You What did you think of it, and why did you choose it for today? So I really enjoyed reading this book, um, mostly, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that it was predominantly enjoyable. I'm, you can tell that I'm sort of hedging my bets because I do have some criticisms or mm-hmm. I did have some um, problems with it, but broadly I, uh, I really enjoyed reading it. I chose it because, so this was hand-sold to me by the fine people at Mr. B's Emporium of Reading Delights. Which is the actual shop name, not just some... Yeah, it genuinely yeah. the actual shot name and I recommend everyone go visit it because it's amazing and it was sold to me because I had expressed an interest in you know thrillers and Jane Austen and mysteries and fun and a bit of tongue-in-cheekness um, and I chose it because I was about I think I was nearly done with it or if I wasn't nearly done with it I was I had recently finished it when Sam and I sat down to talk about what we were going to talk about and it feels like it approaches a lot of things that I think we still struggle with today. It felt very relatable. Um, and I felt like it was purporting to give a new perspective or a slightly different perspective to um, the Regency period. I love the Regency period and I love Jane Austen. I also love the underworld of that time and in mm-hmm. fact wrote my master's dissertation on just that thing. It felt like a way to talk about that without necessarily talking about Bridgerton, which isn't trying to be too realistic. Mm. Whereas this, I think, is meant to represent something that we just simply don't see. I did enjoy it. I thought that it had flaws. It's her first full-length novel, as I understand. Right. And I think you can tell. Um, But that's not to say that it's bad in any way, because I I don't really think it is. But I do think that it had um, some problems. And I found whilst I was reading it that the dread of what was going to happen to Georgiana to make things go wrong was, for whatever reason, really off-putting for me in a way that I don't always find. So I was surprised that I was finding it so difficult and I kept sort of reading it, reading a hundred pages and then putting it down for two or three days because I just didn't want to, like, yeah. come get back into it. And then as soon as I was back into it, I was really deeply in it. And the more I read it, the more it was giving me serious Mean Girl vibes in terms mm. of no one's particularly likeable. No, I thought exactly <laughs> that. Um, and I, I do struggle with books where I can't think. Can't we can't root onto, for anyone. Yeah, or yeah. can't latch on to any one character. Yeah. Even if I'm not rooting for them, I still like can latch on to people because they're interesting. Um, and this is full of a lot of interesting characters, but not 
enough to pique my interest in any one or the other. Mm. Yeah, I think um, when you pitched it, uh, you know, I was I was very much on board. Um, I enjoy a tongue in cheek mm-hmm. romp, which is basically what this was. I think you pitched it to me as campy, which um, also very here for. Yeah. Uh, I think it does exactly what it says on the tin. When we talk about Mean Girls meets Bridgerton, or you know, um, Jane Austen meets. Fleabag. Fleabag, whatever. Any combination of those shows that we've talked about. I think it is exactly that, because you expect something that has the same highs and lows Mm -hmm. as those, and I enjoyed it. Um, I won't say it was a groundbreaking book. Um, I think it did some interesting things. I think it did some things really badly. Uh, Not really badly, maybe that's too extreme, but um, overall, I thought it was very good. And and I... no, not very good. I'm going to dial that back. That was a bit too enthusiastic. <laughs> uh, I, thought it, down. I thought it was good. Like you say, though, I, I think the fact that there were no likeable... The main characters were not particularly likeable. There were a few characters in there that I did enjoy, mm-hmm. but it did make it hard to really feel invested in, in, in the situations that these characters found themselves in because you're like, oh, I don't really care about you that much. There were elements of, like, I didn't feel like anyone was taking anything seriously when it needed to be, or doing enough that that very clearly could have done. Uh, The premise of the book involves um, uh, this set of young people being completely enthralled by one particularly young person, Frances, who is essentially the Queen Bee. Yeah, it's said very early on that she was in the presence of a main character. Yes. She's meant to be, yeah. And the entire time, I wanted to slap her and everyone (laughs) around her and be like, why? Why? And stand up for her, or even if you're, uh, like, stand up to her, or stand up for her, because no one was doing either. And it was bizarre. It was very Regina George vibes. Yeah, and there was, but... Regina George, I don't know. I don't necessarily think Regina George has all too many redeeming qualities. Mm. I think they tried to give Francis redeeming qualities in this book and failed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because, um, I'm sorry, but a, sob, a, like, a sad sob story doesn't actually make you a nice or likeable person. No. And yet she still got a happy ending, which was slightly weak in my opinion yeah i have feelings about the ending and i thought you might um (laughs) this book covers a lot of ground this book covers as mentioned and this is this is probably going to be a laundry list of trigger warnings but it covers drugs sexual assault uh like familial issues friendship breakups being spiked at a party Mm -hmm. bullying bullying um falling in love for the first time, boundaries, yeah. and um, also questions of LGBTQ in the Regency. Yeah. Which, and race, of course. Yeah, and which race. Which is quite, yeah. Quite a key one. Um, and it's I worth think mentioning the, that two of the main characters are mixed race. Yes, um, and I think the yeah. only reason that it didn't, didn't occur to me first is because Francis is one of the primary mixed race characters. And... I almost feel like that the attempt to give her gravitas is to play on um, her the very real circumstances of her race in that society. But it's one scene in the entire book and the rest of the time it just doesn't fucking matter. And not in a, it, it should be the primary issue, but just in a, it was conveniently dropped in to be a problem in this one scene and then never again. And I think that there is a difference between not treating something like a problem and not treating um, people of colour like they didn't exist in the Regency and only treating it like that when you know, it is convenient for the author. You know what it reminded me of? That the, the, the treatment of the societal attitude towards Frances' mother who... Um, she either was a slave or the daughter of a slave. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not made clear. Um, mm-hmm. And also... Um, Thomas Hawksley, uh, his mother is uh, Indian. Um, Thomas Hawksley is the hero. Of is the case. hero, yes, the the romantic hero. I felt like it treated it in the same way that Hamilton treated the slavery and the fact that all of the people were slave owners, and that mm-hmm. it just kind of went. Uh, and then didn't. By the really... way, that's there. By the way, um, there's a thing going on, but we're going to talk about the drinking. Yeah. It shouldn't necessarily be the integral part of the story, but. It, but there is a difference. It was a, mm. Yeah. I think we've talked about this with other books yeah. where we've said, you know, and it's the same with 
uh, it's a, it's a similar in the way that we consider treatment of um sexual identity or uh, different abilities or mm. neurodivergence or whatever which is that it doesn't need to be the center of the struggle but you can't just only like it can't only ever be acknowledged when it's convenient for the author because then it is trivializing it in a way that they're not trying to trivialize it this book is i think the intent of this book was and i do think they do it quite well was to show that the regency was not porcelain white yeah which is and I think important an important important thing and very true and it's worth noting that this book was written before bridgerton was released yeah um so those two things coinciding is is a coincidence but this book was trying to do that was trying to show that representation but at the same time as doing that it also falls into the pitfall of making it a convenient plot point not a consistent feature of the of the book but i don't think it was completely mishandled and i think part of that is down to um the treating of thomas hawksley the uh romantic hero rather than francis but i did think that francis francis's character was very confusing and hard to get a grip on and um i I felt that the treatment of her race complicated that because it was like the author was trying to be like feel sorry for her because of and that made me uncomfortable. We again to point out we are two very white women talking about this and we, we have know. not we have not faced these struggles so we cannot speak to how people would act in in this situation. But it felt it felt off jarring. by a couple of degrees. Yeah, it, it's felt, not it, complete, it could have been done better. Yeah, it wasn't isn't it? completely insensitive or completely ignorant or anything like that, but it w- it fell off by a few degrees. And I, I basically, I felt like it should have known better or was trying to do better than it achieved. So that's sort of my opinion on some of the race handling in this book. But there was also some LGBTQ aspects of this book. Um, Q plus aspects of this book. Quilt bag. Nice great sorry <laughs> that's what the initials spell in their fullness um if you rearrange them it's quilt bag great so there's some quilt bag aspects there's some quilt bag book. going on yeah um and sam i know that you have some opinions about this being a quilt so, bag yeah being a quilt bag yourself <laughs> yeah so fire away yes monologue uh, well i don't even think it's it necessarily comes down to me reading it as a as an lgbtq plus uh-uh. reader but i think there was a uh, so again, spoilers if you haven't picked up on this already. So um, Francis uh, is engaged in this kind of on-off secret uh, lesbian relationship, not even necessarily a relationship, but kind of sexual dynamic with her friend Jane, who <laughs> is pitched as the miserable, stocky brunette who is very acerbic and wants to tear everyone down. Which I feel is such a mainstay of female, like you know the 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 friend yeah. dynamic. There's always the like the the grumpy the grumpy queer one, yeah. which is what it felt like. Yeah. And the idea is that um, Jane wants this uh, relationship to sort of she wants to be with Francis, and Francis is like, oh no, we can't. But I want to, but we can't. So it's never really clear whether Francis actually wants to or whether it's just a. Uh, I don't know, a side distraction. She says they've been doing it since childhood and it's just a thing they do, but you never know how accurate that is. Um, and then there's also Jonathan, who is um, who's gay and um, is there's various stories about him um, doing depraved things with stable boys. Uh, <laughs> it's true, though. That's how, they, that's how they describe it in the book. And it's all very kind of like, oh, well, you know, it was going on, just no one talked about it. And they were roommates. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. I don't know. I just feel. I feel like they. I feel like they've done Jane dirty, in the depiction of her, and that basically her defining characteristic was that she was jealous that Francis wanted to marry a man. Very little character development beyond that. Yeah. Very little. And Jonathan was very much the quote unquote gay best friend vibes. Yeah. And did not get nearly as much anything as he deserved. I found um, the treatment of Jonathan so frustrating because I really. I thought that he was and was set up to be a third, like a third central character and that he'd have his own narrative and everything mm-hmm. like that, if mm-hmm. that's what the, what they wanted to do. And they just kind of dropped it no. about two thirds of the way through and then made him awful. And I got very annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, it was, it was, 
again, it was similar to the treatment of um, the the BIPOC characters where it felt like it was brought up to be like, look how diverse we're being. We've got, we've, you know, BIPOC characters from two different uh, ethnic backgrounds. And, and then it was like, hey, 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 gay storyline. Hey, 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 lesbian storyline. Oh, and then, nah. I feel like everyone got done dirty. We say they're not likeable characters, but that's because we weren't given very much of them. For were, the most part, except Francis and Georgiana. There were arguably too many of them. Yeah. And none of them were given satisfying endings or mm-hmm. enough exploration, and yet the book was 100 pages too long. Mm-hmm. And, there were too many parties. Yeah, yeah. And again, I did really enjoy reading this book, and like, I would probably give this to people to read and be like, you'll enjoy reading this. <laughs> Despite the fact we're just ripping but, it apart. But, you know, we are being critical yeah. on this podcast because that's what we do. Yes. And also because this book does try to do a lot of things. And I think the thing is that it's trying to do those things. Yeah. It's it's trying to show a world that was real in which these people were living these lives. And existed. And existed and, at the yeah. time. And it was not taboo and it was not weird. And it doesn't matter what the BBC casting director thinks, but there were people <laughs> there yeah. who did look like this and did act like this. And yet it's trying to show how natural that was, but it's trying so hard not even to do it all because I think you could do it all in this book because that's that's the point. But it is trying too hard to do it. Yeah. It's trying too hard to do it. Yeah. And I think I think that's what I mean when I say that you can tell it's the first novel. I think that the author is exploring these ideas and has a lot of clearly a lot of passion and knowledge about what they're talking about. Yeah. And wanted to get it all in the thing rather than focusing on perhaps one or two aspects that they at a time that they could fully flesh out yeah i think it would have been better served if this was a three-part interconnected series where you followed jonathan you followed francis you followed georgiana and then jonathan and then francis not all of them at the same time and then half of them in the dust so we've kind of ripped into this representation of, of certain um groups of people what do you think this did well? Quite a lot, to be okay. fair. Okay, let's let's bring it back. Let's yeah. rein it back in. Let's let's focus on the positive. Okay, um, I thought that the scene setting was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had very immediate visualizations of every scene in this book. Um, so definitely the scene setting, the representation of the Regency, the believability of it, and the believability that all these people were there, that these parties were happening, that um even the very clearly incongruous nods to modern lit uh modern media yeah. there's a line which is get in georgiana we're going shopping <laughs> yeah felt believable yeah. um and the other thing was i think that there was quite a lot of humor the reason that i chose to buy this book um after reading the first couple of pages was because the first page which you know in classic book style is about half a page of text it it did have very um strong nods to the wry slightly sarcastic satirical humor of jane austen which i love and i think that it did it really well and there is a section of the book that is epistolary um yes uh, georgiana and thomas the uh romantic leads are writing letters to each other which almost felt like sending emails to each other yeah it was and they were funny they were that they was, were funny yeah. and i don't want to ruin the punchline but it's such a good punchline <laughs> yeah um but yeah uh read it if only for that section it's about yeah. halfway through so both those things i thought were really great and i for all that i was a bit surprised that the love story did end up being between a man and a woman and that it was successful and that he was not a douche canoe <laughs> for all of that i enjoyed it because i'm a sap it's interesting that you picked out the the, the letters chapter it's one that's in the notes on my phone <laughs> uh, along with some questionable things that i wrote when i had had a glass of wine and was like i don't understand um but yeah it is genuine it is funny it's so, oh god i hate this word but it's the word i'm going to use because i can't think of any others um it's sassy it's <laughs> georgiana for all she is again the blandest character the tone of voice that she has is quite uh entertaining and fun and and yeah that the tone of those letters is is great uh, i think that is part i think that's probably what this book does best um i also think 
although the, these these situations feel very modern, but they don't feel out of place for a late eighteenth, early nineteenth century story. They it doesn't feel uh, what's the word uh, ana, ana, anachronistic. That's it, anachronistic. Anachronistic. Fucking. Anachronistic. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage anachronistic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it doesn't feel like that. That's my drag queen name. We found it. Yeah, perfect. It feels both of its time and modern. And I think that is a very hard line to walk. And I think the fact that she's done it is impressive. Agreed. Mispronunciations and all. (laughs) Welcome to the stage. Mispronunciations. All, all good drag names here. <laughs> so obviously there are aspects of the book that we um, that we have feelings about in a less positive way and some that we really, really enjoyed. Are there any characters beyond the main ones we've discussed who we've already said are not particularly likeable that you did enjoy and would like to have heard more from in this story? You know, I love me a side character. Yeah. I enjoyed Georgiana's aunt. Yes, I did too. Mrs uh, Burton. Mrs Burton, yeah. who... Has her has her views on the world and her <laughs> ideas of propriety, but ultimately wants to do right by her um, niece. And I think the way that Mr. and Mrs. Burton, Georgiana's aunt and uncle, are who take her in, are set up at the beginning of the novel, you can be forgiven for thinking that they are Mr. and Mrs. Bennet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know, the flighty, marriage-obsessed... Fussy. Uh, fussy mother and the basically reclusive father but i think both prove to be not that and but especially mrs burton proves to be a loyal and fierce tiger aunt Mm. as it were like and much more progressive than you would think she is faced up against with georgiana quite a lot of rebellion and um things that she cannot understand or that even for now would be traumatic for a family member and caretaker to deal Mm -hmm. with in Mm -hmm. their charge and for then would have been practically unthinkable certainly in her like quite restricted middle class lifestyle um and she deals with it with just like an incredible energy and i love her um <laughs> at the end of it she's writing a freaking letter campaign and and everything and i was just like i adore her and likewise uh thomas's dad um gets a pass just because Ed- for all like three se- three scenes that we see him in he's an absolute like babe stand up babe <laughs> yeah uh except that he's always sitting down but still um my other favorite was uh lord Haverton. <laughs> um, as mentioned so lord haverton is a very very tertiary character uh he basically um exists as a character who throws the big party at the very not at the very end of the book but like the kind of final one that they go the to the crux of the novel the crux of the novel yeah. uh and he has this big house and throws his party which is sort of uh, this grecian roman orgy essentially um but I love it because there's there's events that he sets up where where men have to fight to be like have to have a physical like battle uh, parade to be with him. Uh, he just sort of sits in a throne in a ro- he's just he's just great. And then when Georgiana's having a terrible time, he just turns up and he's like, "You're not enjoying yourself, are you, darling?" And she's like, "No, no, I'm not." He's like, "Well, it's time to leave. If you're not having fun, go, go home." And she's like, "I can't go home." He's like, "Have my carriage. Have I my carriage, but I want it back." Yeah. Uh, and he keeps his horse. He keeps his horse in his, in his, in his house. mansion. Uh, and he's like, yeah. "Be nice to the horse. Like, don't mess with the horse." And yeah, yeah. he he seemed like a benevolent. He was a very drunk Bacchic character. I was but, just thinking yeah. of Bacchus. Yeah, he's yeah. he's. I, I, I was a big fan of him. Uh, I like Betty as well. Betty Wall. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her surname now. Um, but the, the, the Betty is the character that's kind of positioned by uh, Mrs. Um, Mrs. Burton at the beginning to be the alternative to Francis as um, Georgiana's, Georgiana's companion. Uh, and she's this kind of... She's described as basically this sort of chubby, round-faced, awkward girl who likes embroidery and talks too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh, you." the whole point is that you're meant to think, oh God, she's boring. But she turns out to be the best friend, obviously. You know, the actual friend that 
everyone should have. Um, she's treated very cruelly, but is very forgiving. And I think they did her dirty as well because it was just she was very much. But I do think that she at least got like a bit of action. She uh, <laughs> she did. Doesn't she whack someone with a sword? Yeah, she hits someone. With, she hits um, uh, Russell over the back of the head with a with a branch. Doesn't she? Yes, yeah. that's it. It's a branch. Yeah. It was either a branch or I couldn't remember if it was a branch or a sword. Yeah. Um, we haven't even yeah, talked was, about Russell. Fucking yeah, no, I don't, do we have to? No. She's very practical, but she kind of gets lost and keeps talking. And um, but she's just like she's just a really good friend, and yeah. then sort of stands up and does the shit when she needs to do the shit. Okay, so we've reached that point in the grape culture evening where we're going to have a small break. But before we do that, we're going to talk a bit more about the Tokaj uh, wine that we've been drinking today. Or Tokash, sorry. Um, which was the uh, Cardos Ferment wine off of Novel Wines. Thanks, Novel Wines. Um, Kim, how are you finding it? Um, I found it surprisingly drinkable. As it got warmer, it got quite apple-y. Yeah, I... I... Um, which, you know, keep it chilled and you'll be all right. It's definitely stick it in an ice bucket and Mm -hmm. sip it. It is really drinkable and you can have a really nice time on this. I wouldn't hesitate to buy this again at all. And, um, yeah, I can, I can see having a very nice time. It does feel very in keeping with, oh, the idea of being followed around with a servant with an ice bucket and wines, (laughs) I'm like, yes, great. Uh, yeah, I have also enjoyed it very much. It is not the kind of white wine I normally drink because it's kind of, I think because it has that fullness of flavour that kind of keeps going, whereas normally it's very, oh, a flavour, oh, it's gone. Yeah. Um, but this this, this definitely lingers. lingers on the palate. Oh, God, I don't know. This must be this book where I'm talking like a dick. Uh, or maybe I'm just a dick, who knows. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very enjoyable and I'm looking forward to our Riesling. Mm-hmm. Spoilers for the second part, but we'll talk <laughs> about that when we come back. So we're going to have a small break. Uh, please go and refresh your glasses. Join us for <laughs> Grape Culture Bingo after the break. So we are back from our break. Uh, we have had a wee because that is the Grape Culture Condition. 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 Tradition. <laughs> Fuck. We've had one bottle. Um, now we have another bottle of wine. Not that it sounds like I need it. So what is our second bottle tonight, Kim? Why did you choose it? Why is it here? And why is it so goddamn long? <laughs> uh, yes, we have a long baby here. Um, we have a very nice tall bottle of Riesling uh, as our second bottle. This is the Anton Finkenauer 2020 Riesling. Bless you. Um, this is a German Riesling. Um, the reason I chose this is on the similar theme that I was talking about earlier about the production of wine during this time period. Um, This is the new money wine. So German wines, because of the change in the climate and also the change in the um, structure of uh, Europe at the time and the way that the boundaries kept changing, what we now call Germany, their their wine production started to become more and more popular. Part of that is because the areas of the Alsace region, which is like in France, but borders Germany. And then that boundary shifts a few few ways over various wars. That itself is a very rich region. Um, and obviously Riesling is a French wine and it was particularly popular in that region, grown in that region. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the uh, French empire that occupied parts of Germany um, during the various wars, uh, Napoleonic wars and etc. Um, a lot of Germanic wine pro- wine producers learnt from the French experts. Obviously, as I mentioned, France was the leading expert in wine production at the time in Europe. Um, so they learned from that and started developing a really rich uh, viticulture themselves. And so with England not necessarily buying wine from France um, due to the war, the areas of Germany that were not under control um, in the various fluctuations became more popular for people to um, purchase their wine from. And it was a very sort of new market, relatively cheap, relatively exciting, Mm -hmm. um, light white wines. And the reason, by the way, that we are choosing white wines over red wines for most of this is because... Throughout the book, Georgiana experiments with her tastes in wines. And during a very significant scene with the uh, romantic hero Thomas, he chooses a wine for her from a wine cellar. Um, And 
it turns out that it's white wine and it turns out that she actually was just drinking the wrong wine the entire time yeah and i think that is also intended to be a little bit of the old versus new like white wine certainly became more popular in the 18th and 19th century than red wine um partially because of all the reasons that i've explained so that's why i've gone with a german riesling um and i hope it will be very nice I'm excited. I like a Riesling. I like a German wine. I don't know if I like Riesling or not. Probably not, but... it's Yeah, it seems like not a very Kim wine, but I'm looking forward to it for me. Oh, it's a lovely colour. It's very pale. I like that. Yeah. Is it not the one? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. For something that smells like absolutely nothing. It's very spicy. This has a lot of salt on my tongue. Uh, yeah, what? How? How do we describe this one? Sweaty, <laughs> Haribo, sweaty mm. Haribo. It's it's like Tangfastics, that kind of level of sharpness. Whereas the other one was like a very tart apple. Level of sharpness, but also level of like artificial. Yeah, to I'm an not... extent, like it's not it's not overly sweet or it's not overly thing, but like where the Tokash had full and lingering flavour this has an assault of flavour that's very top level dissipates very quickly and it's gone very quickly and you're almost like did I just drink that yeah um, except that you're left feeling a little bit grim <laughs> um, I like it good I'm sorry oh, that nice you don't you. the thing is I don't think that it's a bad wine I'd like to make it's that clear it's not to your taste it's really not to my taste and it's not to my taste in a particular... It wasn't at all what I was expecting. Yeah. Which, interestingly, leads me on to the next couple of things that we're going to be talking about. Which is, um, I want to talk about both the title mm-hmm. and the cover of this book. Now, you'll be able to see the cover on our Instagram. But also, I don't think that there is another cover of this book at the moment. I think that this is the only cover. And I can't say I'm surprised because the cover is very carefully chosen. I think I've seen another cover cover where it's been on a different colour background, mm-hmm. but the actual core concept of the artwork has been the same. Mm-hmm. So, um, because this is an audio medium, we might as well describe it. The cover is uh, a illustration of four women who are meant to be the four four of the central female characters of this book um, sat in a sort of uh, stood sorry in a wisteria. Um, arch each holding wine glasses except the central that the the most the foremost character sorry is holding the wine bottle the foremost character is i think intended to be georgiana yeah and then you've got francis um to her right with jane behind francis and then um well sorry to our right looking at the book and then to the left is cecily cecily who i almost called agatha not even slightly the not same even name. slightly close no. Um, and we haven't mentioned Cecily so far, but Cecily <laughs> is the uh, Karen um, yeah. from Mean Girls yeah. character. The, the, the slightly dithering idiot, airy, very beautiful one. Who occasionally comes out with some profound things, but yeah. then goes back to being dithering. She's very sweet. She's very good-natured. She's small, beautiful. Very oblivious. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the, the gist of it. Um on top of this this lovely illustration is emblazoned the word reputation big block white letters on a pink very tabloidy background. very tabloidy yeah. um definitely every, every time i look at this book i think about this book i sing end game by taylor swift in my head big reputation big reputation uh and i'm gonna stop there so we don't get sued um (laughs) but just just no and then on the top is uh it is a truth universally acknowledged the girls just want to have fun Mm -hmm. which i mean gonna get that tattooed uh (laughs) but (laughs) other than that yeah um yeah that's the cover and also obviously we're talking about the title um sam when i gave you this book what did you think of both the cover and the title? So the problem with the, the word reputation, and obviously this is an intentional choice because it is uh, an, a kind of homage to Jane Austen. In the, the dedication even says to Jane Austen, I'm sorry, Jane. Um, Amazing. Yeah, which is great. But obviously reputation makes me think of 
persuasion um and it's that the the sort of one word title um so i sometimes in my head i get the two muddled up yeah um on the one hand i think it delivered exactly what you would expect from a cover like this and a title like this on the other hand i think there's a particularly with a title i think there's um a nuance that you don't necessarily expect from the cover. Uh, and what I mean by that is that reputation is a very, when you delve into that, it's a very multifaceted thing, which is, it's to do with um, uh, perceptions of other people. It's to do with morality. It's to do with um, reputation is almost the exact opposite of rebellion. Mm-hmm. And this book and the blurb do talk about rebellion and that, mm-hmm. I feel like it was a good title for the book, but I think the cover was just a bit... It was it was fine. It, it did what it wanted to, to do, I think, which was to sell this to women of a certain age mm. who enjoy certain things. And those things are wine and pastel-coloured dresses. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, because I know people who like wine and pastel-coloured dresses and they wouldn't like this book. When I was being given this book, I asked because she gave it to me and I had an immediate reaction Mm. and that is born off of things that I've read previously because I love Jane Austen, shocker. I also, I'm not precious about Jane Austen. I've read quite a lot of trash Pride in my time. And zombies and yeah. all that Although I have never read Pride and Frozen Zombies but I have read <laughs> Willoughby's Return and so so on and so forth. Um, right, right. Yep. Yeah, just, you know, to be clear here, I'm not I'm not precious and I love, I'd already explained to Ian that I love um, a good bit of irreverence. Yes, I love a good bit of irreverence. I also love a sexy Regency novel in which they have sex. And yeah. it's on the page. Yeah. Um, I like a bit of film. On the page, in the stable, on the sheets, in the carriage. Yeah. All of it. Specifically in the carriage. I oh, yeah. Carriage sex uh, is the, the one I'm about... On the ranking of carriage... Sorry. Yeah, no, it really yeah. is, though. And the one I'm about to reference actually has a very good carriage scene. Um, So I asked her, is it more Austinland or um, Sarah McLean? And she said that she hadn't read either, which I was like, fair enough, don't blame you. Okay. Um, and so she that's why she recommended reading the first page. And I definitely think that it falls into the good versus bad. For for the record, Austinland, freaking hated it. Right. Sarah McLean, excellent carriage scene. Um, and the series that I'm speaking of with Sarah McLean is that she did a series of uh, The Scandal by any other name and all this sort of stuff, which is around... a. Uh, Four sisters who are loosely based on the Kardashians, right? Okay. But in the Regency, oh, I hate it already. My, my no, nerves it's hurt. so good. My nerves hurt. And um, what particularly made me think of this was uh, there's a whole thing about the the heroine of the one that I read wearing a yellow dress, and in this um, cover, Georgiana is wearing a yellow dress. And so I looked at this and I slightly recalled because I thought that it was going to be like Ostenland. It's weirdly the same color that the Ostenland cover is. Okay, bizarre. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think it's more McLean than Austinland in that I think that it's more intelligently handled and um also obviously Austinland, for those who haven't read it, is, is a modern setting. Mm-hmm. Um but I I was a little bit put off by the cartoonishness of it. Mm. Um and then the more that I read it, the more I was really quite impressed by the thought that had gone into the cover. I don't think you can be sold by this cover. I think you're right that it sells it to a certain market and it doesn't necessarily achieve it for that. I think the cover is good. It's a beautiful cover. It's clearly very well designed and very thoughtful. I don't think it's the right cover. As for the title, Reputation, aside from making me think purely of Taylor Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. I think it's a great title. Yeah. Um, I think Reputation is a word that any person who's ever read any Regency novel knows what that means in this context. And I think that's very important. You're right about the idea of it being tabloidy. We're familiar with it being tabloidy. The Taylor Swift reference is relevant, I think, actually, because it's probably started at least being written around the time that Reputation was out, had been out. You know, um, the Reputation aspect of women in the media currently yeah, holds true. This is the, you know, small town Surrey equivalent of that and the... Uh, 19th century <laughs> we talked briefly about um the the idea that this book is is about 
drinking too much, taking drugs uh, and partying too much. But again, the actual sexual side of it, the consensual sex side of it, let's mm. be honest here, um, is very, very minimal, very downplayed. I don't think any of the characters in this are having promiscuous sex Jonathan. with multi yeah well jonathan yes okay and i'll christopher, take that back who we haven't even mentioned yeah, we haven't christopher mentioned. or jeremiah christopher the rick okay well, so none of the female characters yeah none of the female are, i think the important that. distinction yeah that is yeah. a very that's a good point there is a different treatment of morality um in this book than perhaps what we would expect from a traditional romance which is to say that the the focus is on is on the partying and not the, the sex and i don't know about you but if i'm reading a regency romance i'm expecting sex and not a shit ton of drug Coke. taking and wine yeah. yeah um do you think well actually no why do why do you think that is why do you think that this novel went for that rather than the other way around which a lot of novels of this era not era not modern novels that take place in this era tend to lean on I think that this book was trying to tackle the issue, not titillate. Okay. And um, romance novels tackle issues and titillate, but I don't think that, uh, you know, sexy, steamy romance novels, I should say, tackle the issue, but don't titillate and yes. act as if there were, you know, very much project um, sometimes uh, more modern sensibilities onto Regency characters and are less concerned with historical accuracy. I think that this novel was trying to portray a sense of historical accuracy because they are trying to get to the point of the world look different and please stop not casting black people just because it's the Regency. Yes. It's something that Jane Austen did and a lot of other authors of her time did is that they sought to tackle things whilst also framing it in a socially acceptable narrative. Mansfield Park, for example, um, does discuss uh, both poverty and um, slavery, but in the confines of polite drawing room conversation. I don't think that this was written intended to be a romance with a capital R Mm. novel. I think the romance was intended to be a subplot. And yet, the ending of the book, Mm. which we've alluded to a couple of times Mm -hmm. uh, over the course of this show, is very focused on the... Uh, the outcome of the story with regard to Thomas and Georgiana. Yeah, yeah. We should say there are some male characters that we've been referencing. There is Jonathan, gay best friend, Christopher, other friend of the Francis set, who no one seems to really like, but seems to have access to all the good coke. Essentially, the Chuck Bass. Of, yes. Of the group, yeah, very much. Right? Very much. And then um, Jeremiah, who the bullfrog. Yeah. <laughs> Um, spoiler alert is the dickhead. Like, he's the bad guy. But yeah, he's the jock who, um, is terrible. He's the every classic bully in every classic rom-com who doesn't win. And then he, like, he tells women he loves them and then fucks them and then leaves them all alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's the bad yeah. guy. He's the person yeah. that leaves the person brokenhearted. He's the yeah. person that leaves the person in disarray. He's the person that does not come and redeem He's the person who assaults people. He's the person that assaults people. Um, he's a bad dude and we do not like him. Yes. Uh, Endorsed by Grape Culture. We do not like Jeremiah Russell. We do Russell. not like Jeremiah Russell. Jeremiah Russell does not win. Jeremiah Russell, do- Jeremiah Russell does get hit on the head with a branch. He does get hit on the head by a branch. By Betty. By Betty. Oh, Betty. Oh, Betty. But the end of the novel does feature... Uh, there's a showdown between um, Jeremiah, uh, Georgiana, and Francis, and Betty gets involved as well. And Betty. And then, yeah, Betty. Don't forget Betty. No, I, well, Betty <laughs> Betty stops it. You're like, Betty is the. Betty saves the is, day. Yeah, Betty saves Betty the day. Batman. Uh, Betty is Batman. Betty. Batman. Um, yeah, so Betty saves the day. But the very end of the novel focuses on the fact that Georgiana and Thomas are going, oh, we're engaged to be married. Um, oh, they're not even engaged to be married. They are soon to be engaged oh, to be married. Oh, soon to be. They're pre engaged. Uh, yeah. They're courting. Courting. So it finishes with the focus being on that rather than any kind of reparation of uh, friendship or anything else, which is very strange considering the book focuses so much on the interactions between these friends. More so um, than the romance. Yeah. Aside from brief interludes of letters, Georgiana's greatest quandary, greatest driving force throughout this novel is her relationship with Francis her concern and interest in thomas is an undercurrent but it starts and for the good i mean really for a good half of the book at least 
he's like barely a thing and then all of a sudden she's like desperately in love with him in an orange ring we've just been talking about the ending and i have a question about the way that the book ended i feel like this book has um a very morality focused message Mm. and i wonder how you feel about how the way that it ends and whether we agree with the moralizing that it does that's a hard one because i feel like this book and potentially this is just a reflection of georgian values confuses morality with societal perception it's so concerned or so many of the characters are so concerned with what other people are going to think of them so um it's very focused on and again this comes about the type of the book it's very focused on perception rather than uh, causation and i think that changes so within the orangery scene that we've talked about mm-hmm. um uh, Georgiana is sexually assaulted by Jeremiah Russell and the sort of final part of the book is her speaking out about that and calling him out for it mm. uh, which is at the risk of her reputation. at the risk of her reputation which is like it's an important message but it's also uh, incongruous is the word that I was thinking yeah, yeah. how did you feel about the morality um, I had a real problem with parts of it and partially that's because I I'm on a wine podcast mm. and I'm on record to saying that I quite enjoy drinking and I also recognise the importance of social interaction and having alcohol sometimes but not always in those social interactions and so on and so forth. Um, there was a very anti-drinking message, message yes. yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, people do... Yeah, there is a health concern. And... People do drink to excess. People do choke on their own vomit. There is a concern there. There was no real attempt at a middle ground there or a moderation. And I think that hmm. many people can drink with moderation. Uh, also, feel very strongly that actively restricting anything that someone enjoys. Um, means, a prohibition. Yeah, it means that not only are you kind of encouraging them to think about that all the time, but also it's I don't think it's it's grounds for a harmonious relationship. But there was there was morality around it and I I felt like it conflated doing everything under the sun with having a drink at dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm. In in fact, I don't even feel like it did conflate doing everything under the sun with having a drink at dinner. There was stink eye at having a drink at dinner towards the end and it pissed me off. For the majority of this book it's not just one or two glasses of wine at dinner. This is wine and then brandy and then blah blah blah. Like several bottles. Several bottles. Several substances. Yes. The way it was dealt was very much like ah bad and then did nothing to kind of address the environment in which these people found themselves in did nothing to kind of what is it about the society that fosters this um what makes behavior um how are they seeking out and i think it comes back to that thing that we talked about at the very start of the episode with the um representation of race and um the lgbtq plus community Mm -hmm. which is where it goes ah a thing are you going to talk about why the thing is happening uh-huh. or what the struggles are uh-huh. with the thing no just a thing that uh-huh. makes the plot more interesting and i feel like it did that with i agree that. it felt like a very special episode yeah it's tricky because it's tricky to talk about um substance abuse yes and things like yes, that in the same breath as consuming and some people feel very strongly about this but i'm kind of assuming that if you're listening to this podcast you might quite like a tipple every now and then um and so i'm kind of assuming that you get what i'm trying to say here which is that like i do not advocate in case this isn't clear like doing everything under the sun and and um putting your body at risk yeah but i also don't think that having a glass of wine makes you the devil and i think that there is clear moderation i don't think that this book it spent 350 pages showing us the most interesting characters in this book getting drunk getting high having a great time having horses in their matches and then being like at the end (laughs) wag wag finger don't drink wine with dinner and i was like i'm not cool with that so we're about ready to wrap up um Sam, I'm really interested to know uh, what favourite quotes you had from this book because I've already mentioned mine, which is uh, George- getting Georgiana were going shopping and obviously the 
unmentioned punchline to the letter writing incident. But before I ask you that, I'd just like to mention that I have referenced on this podcast a few times, I think, a very similar book that I have uh, enjoyed by Sarah McLean. The book that I read was The Rogue Not Taken, which is number one (laughs) in the Scandal and Scoundrel series by Sarah McLean. Now, Sam. Yes. Top uh, quotes, because I know you have dem, some. Dem <laughs> quotes, son. Um, so I took pictures of uh, two quotes um, from this book. There are a few more that I would have liked, which were just kind of evidence of the sass that you get in uh, and the humour and fr- the way that it is written. It is very, very well done. But there are two that I took pictures of for specific reasons. And one is um, because <laughs> it made me uh, think of you, Kim, because mm-hmm. I know how much you enjoy a romance novel. Um <laughs> So this was to do with, uh, this is when Georgiana is talking to Thomas about uh, no it's not Thomas it's Thomas's father um, about uh, what he's reading when she comes across him in the in the dining room um, the best scene. and he's yeah and he's reading a romance book and she's basically like uh, I didn't realize that men like to read romances uh, and he said I must confess I am rather fond of them I flatter myself that I'm quite a prolific reader but I often find that tedious philosophical musings on the meaning of life leave one a little cold uh, life is difficult enough after all without dissecting it and agonising over the pieces you can count on romance the path to a happy ending is often littered with scorned and deceased lovers uh, and then it goes on to the next page but I thought that was similar it's yeah. so bang on I actually I remember reading that and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I really to him yeah yeah so that was one that i uh, i really uh, i appreciate genuinely that. had in mind for you i uh i am um, glowing with that yeah <laughs> good <laughs> and then the other one is um it's more to do with the perception of masculinity and masculine mm-hmm. expression um so this is from later on in that same scene um and it's talking about uh it's talking about how Thomas looks at Georgiana. Um, uh, He finally looked at her. She was not prepared for the naked and unguarded hurt she saw in his eyes. The sadness that had clearly taken root in him. It speared her through the chest. She was surprised at the intensity of her feelings, surprised to find that this sudden moment of vulnerability did not alarm her one bit. This is the bit. No hero in any romance she'd read before had been allowed to feel anything other than righteous Mm -hmm. anger, any sorrow turning immediately to swift and red-blooded retribution. She was glad he was going off book. She could tell that anything less would have been a lie. This I idea that that quote, I loved that when I read it. Yeah, yeah this idea that the, that the male characters within the the story can um, express something other than just rage. Yeah, I thought that was an like it was a clever thing to acknowledge. It is, uh, and it was, and that, that is something that this book does well. Is that like I don't think any of the male characters in this book are type no even even jeremiah yes i agree I, that's a great quote and uh yeah that that is one thing that we've not acknowledged with this book which is that for all that there are toxic men the uh, the attack on toxic maxim- masculinity is strong it is there is yeah i think what we should talk about is ratings the end of the episode and wines absolutely so um I'm going to jump straight in with a rating here on the Anton Finkenauer, which is that I gave up on it, and so I'm going to give it a two. But I think that that is a unfinished two, so I would... <laughs> oh, dirty. I would give Sam's rating more credit. Uh, Sam, what did you rate it? Yeah, so basically after Kim had the first class, she handed it over to me. Barely um, had the first I had barely, finished the first class. I made several faces. So the rest of it is uh, my point of view. Um, I I like a Riesling. I like a German wine. Um, I enjoyed this. I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed it as much as I did the Tokash at the start of the episode. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a 3.5 mm-hmm. I think for this. It's a pairing wine. Yeah. For shit sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no way. Cool. The Tokash. This is the uh, Cardas Ferment Tokash, yes. uh, which is off of Hungary. Off of um, Hungary. Yeah, I, I thought this was this surprised me. The in old the, money wine. The old money wine. <laughs> it did surprise me in the flavours. Um, it surprised me in the complexity of it. Um, I very much enjoyed it. It's not a wine that I would pick usually because I do prefer like a a drier, sharper white, like the Riesling. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was surprising, 
and more complex than I expected, I'm going to go for a four. Lovely. Yeah, I enjoyed him. Um, I'm also inclined to agree. So um, I was comparing my feelings about this wine with my feelings about uh, the book because I think they are about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't hold with uh, 0.25 grapes. So I'm going to go with a 3.5. Oh, you're rounding down. I'm rounding down. Stinge. Because <laughs> if I was comparing... Well, because exactly. Because it's white wine. Because if I was comparing this with a four-star red wine, my what's the word standards are yes. a little bit higher okay. um and so i'm trying to i'm trying to gra- uh mark on the gradient and um mm. fair this is a particularly good white wine i thought like mm-hmm. really really enjoyed it um so 3.5 is not to be sniffed at in any capacity in any mm. in any rating and so finally um the book rated this 3.75 when I read it, which is that I felt that it was above a three, which is, is my generally mm. good would recommend to other people, but maybe wouldn't keep. Like, I, I sort of plan to keep the book. If we're eschewing the point the point two fives, then I'm going to give it a 3.5, same as the wine. Um, I gave it a three. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was very... It flowed very well. I thought it had some very funny moments in it. But as soon as you sort of chip away beyond what you're reading, you, you notice that there are problems. The two people who've read this book and talking on this podcast, one of us is a Jane Austen scholar and one of us is someone who does not get on with Jane Austen. Um, we both enjoyed this book at a fairly similar level. Yes, I think uh, so, yeah. So that, I think, is an indication that no matter where you're coming from, if you have an interest in Georgian literature, yeah, this I I would not hesitate to recommend this to mums, aunts, friends, distant friends, people at hen parties. It's the kind of book that I feel like you could talk about. You could be like, "Did you watch Bridgerton? Did you watch Fleabag?" Uh, yeah, if, if, if you watch Bridgerton and the, the, the blatant pounding that goes on in Bridgerton, you can read this book. So that brings us to the end of the episode this week. But don't forget, we're back for a brand new season. So make sure that you follow us on all of our social media channels to keep up to date. We are on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod. We are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. We also have a website where you can find show notes. You can find links to the wine that we talked about. And that is grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. If you would like to listen to us talk about anything in particular, get in touch with us and we will consider it because let's be honest, we are two women who are drinking a lot of wine and just want to talk shit. So we're open to all suggestions, but thank you for listening. We hope you are looking forward to season four as much as we are and we will see you for the next episode.